This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app that makes training fun. Because fun is fast. Croeso. That's a bit of Welsh for you. So Geraint, we are back with a bonus episode and back with something of a bang. So previously to the last week, I would have said that Switzerland has produced many good things, including precision watches, Toblerone and cheese with holes in. To that list, we can now add victory in the Tour de Suisse. So yeah, Tour de Suisse, that was really good. Um, obviously, it was a race I come close to winning way back in uh, 2015. Lost it by five seconds in the final TT. So yeah, who, who was that to? Was that Rafael Mica? Spielak. Spielak. S- Simon yes. Spielak. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those races I've always kind of wanted to win. So to win it now was a very nice feeling. And kind of, as we know, Tom, I've had a bit of bad luck over the years, but I felt like I had a bit of good fortune this time. For one, I didn't get COVID, and this will—I don't want this to sound bad now—but the team leader Adam Yates got COVID and left the race, which gave me a bit more of a open door opportunity and um yeah took it and it was great it was um there was a few stats coming out of the the race so did you see well i mean i saw the one if you're about to mention the one that i think you are one of the reasons i saw it was because you sent it to me which is Ah. fine because it is a great stat yeah that was the third one i was going to mention the best one we'll save that to last the first one was obviously first brit to win or podium so that's a nice one to have nice second one was the second oldest person to win tour swiss um, behind Levi Leipheimer, apparently. So, mm. yeah, that's for all the people that love to just talk about age these days. Seems to be a hot topic. <laughs> and, yeah, the best, though, which I did send to you, was pretty proud of, was... So there's a list of riders that have won the Dauphiné, Tour de Suisse, and the Tour de France. Starts with Eddie Merckx and ends with me. Just two of us. That's pretty cool, eh? That is one of the great stats. If I were you, I'd be feeling very pleased with myself. <laughs> yeah, but there's also an even better one. There's a list of riders that have won Dauphiné, Tour de France, Tour de Suisse, and two Olympic gold medals. Oh. That's only list me. List of one? Yeah. Eddie Merckx. <laughs> Hasn't even achieved that. Hasn't even. <laughs> but, yeah. That will really great with Eddie Merckx. And knowing Eddie Merckx, I wouldn't put it past him to try and get back into training in his <laughs> yeah. late 60s to try and make the Belgium track squad for the next Olympics. <laughs> yeah, probably. But uh, no, yeah, it was a great, it was a great, uh, great week to be fair. Hot, really hot. Like I think every day was over 30. We had some days 35, 36. Um, and as you can see, I've got a big head of hair on me at the minute. So extra training for the tour, you know, I'll get it chopped at some point before. But uh, we went through a lot of water and ice, definitely. Okay, so the race has gone brilliantly, but what exactly happened afterwards? Oh, afterwards was massive anticlimax, I'm not going to lie. The first few hours anyway, because um, obviously you do press, dope control and stuff. And, you know, before the TT, you have a, a wee before you leave. As I said, it's super hot, 35 degrees. I wasn't really in a rush to wee. And um, I was down in drinks the whole time. I must have had easily three litres, but it still takes a while to come through, doesn't it? And then we're getting texts from Rod. The manager like, oh, your flight, you're going to miss your flight. The airport's closing. Um, if you can, piss, you know, hurry along. And I was thinking, I know, mate, <laughs> I really do want to go. I'm not just doing this for a laugh. 
Um, luckily, managed to, to get, you got to do 90 mil as a minimum. 19 mil. Just put that in terms of if I were had some sort of conical flask in front of me. Actually, I've never had a conical flask. I don't even know what conical if flask I, is. If mate. I had a teacup in front of me, <laughs> I'd say <laughs> it's 19 mil. Is that like espresso cup? So an espresso, you know, a proper espresso now, like Italian espresso. It must be at least yeah. just imagining pouring an espresso cup into this pot. It's got to be at least four. Four espressos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like a bit. Oh, this is this is fun, isn't it? Just won a nice big race, and I'm just stressing here about making my flight. Anyway, do the business. Ride to the team bus was about two k away. Sprint to the team bus, more like, and then get there. And then there's about six staff left. And Luke was telling me they planned this big like thing where they were gonna, you know, jump out on me and a little celebration, whatever. Anyway, everyone's had to go because they need to catch flights. About six staff left. Quick hug with everyone. Bit of a fist bump, whatever. Straight into the car that's already running with the driver there, sat there, ready to go. Me, Luke and Dylan jump in the back. <laughs> Boom. I haven't had a shower or anything at this point. Still in my kit. Get to the airport, running in, changing in the toilets. Still no shower. Just a Belgian wash, you know, with the tap and just a bit of splash into the pits and the <laughs> other parts. And then um, turns out the flight's <laughs> delayed. So um, got plenty of time. And the cl- airport didn't close at 6.30, which is what we were told. It closed at like eight i think and it was delayed an hour and a half apparently anyway we get on um 7 30 all good you know sat there here we go off to the age now do this cobble recon tomorrow grand we'll go to a nice bar you know we'll have a couple of drinks we'll maybe watch the f1 and uh be nice little you know way to finish swiss um halfway down the runway then the, air, the airplane slams on the brakes and we're like whoa what's, what's all that about thinking like oh maybe it's a cow in the road or something <laughs> it's yeah, but it turns out it's um i don't know something up with the battery or some technical fault so we get off anyway find out about half an hour later they can't fix it the airport's closed we gotta go to a local hotel i'm flying in the morning by the latest 8 30 we would we would leave so we're like Phew. okay so yeah. we go to this hotel it's a nice hotel to be fair a nice bar and we went to order room service and we we're like oh actually let's get a drink and they had these they had the proper copper copper cups for moscow mules so i was like oh i'll have a moscow mule please and it was oh it was the best <laughs> moscow mule i've ever had tom it was, it was bloody <laughs> lovely and then we ended up well we stayed there till about midnight actually just drinking moscow mules and german beer so it was actually a nice little celebration in the end the three of us and then the next day our flight was just cancelled uh, delayed again so then we get there straight into the car speed into the well no doing the speed limit but on the speed limit <laughs> to the start of the recon quickly get changed then we like we had to press on in this recon so we've done eight days hard racing and then we're just like pressing on like over these cobbles and in between and just stressing about making our flight home then as well so but luckily that was all good made the fly home and did the recon and then dylan sent me a message the next day a screenshot of something on twitter saying the run into the first sector of cobbles has been changed and we were like oh <laughs> great typical <laughs> But the rest is the same. So it was good to do. It was good. I haven't ridden cobble since 2018. Before that was when I did the classics, like maybe 15 or 16. So it's been a while. So it was good to ride them, testing pressures, all that type of jazz. So In the meantime, um, ahead of this episode, 
we've asked our GTCC members to throw us some questions on our socials and we'll try and get through some of these later with our esteemed guest. In the meantime, I do want to ask you this one, although I've got a feeling I know the answer. This is from Old Crow on Insta, who would like to know which rider in Team Ineos would be most successful at the sport of arm wrestling? <laughs> Uh, you'd have to go for a classics guy over a GC man but I'm always going to back myself mate no Ghana would be good Luke would be good who else is there I reckon young Magna Sheffield he's got some guns on him is he yeah, and he's, yeah he's just got that young raw sort of um, aggression about him as well so he'd be he'd be right in there yeah, yeah. One more quick update actually to tell you about before we get our guest on, and that's that our GTCC merch has been selling like hot Welsh cakes straight off the griddle pan. I am told by producer Louise that if you order any items from the store in June, you can be in with a chance to win a £50 voucher, which sounds pretty good. Just go to gtccstore.com to become a full kit like me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to the GTCC socials and you'll see the evidence of me on a recent ride fully kitted up. Right, it is just days until the Tour de France begins now, so shall we do a tour special? Let's see, G, who you've managed to get on for us this time. Today's guest, Tom, is another Aussie. We like having them on the pod, don't we? So he's one of only three non-Europeans to win the Tour de France, which is crazy. I didn't even realise that. He won it back in 2011 at the age of 34. So I'm sure everyone knows who he is right now, but just in case you don't. He's also a four-time Olympian. He's won numerous mountain bike races before coming on to the road and becoming world champion. Welcome to the GTCC Cadell Evans. Hey, thanks for having me, mate. And I say thanks for thanks for giving up your time to do this. For well, <laughs> for me it's something, but for your for your fans and followers, I I think you've been very generous with your time at this sort of time of year when wow. you've got you've got a little, well you've probably got your nationals coming. So I won't say your next race, but the one after that might be pretty pretty important. Yeah, I'm just a nice guy, Cadell. You know, I love to just give. Give back to give give. Yeah. Do you just give, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, thanks for joining. It's great to great to see you. I haven't seen you for ages. But um, just going back to that intro, how was it, by the way? Is that a decent intro? That was pretty pretty thorough and all encompassing. Thanks. Um, yeah, my in my background was um, yes, as you as you mentioned, tour and the, well, the things I'm known for on the road was the 2009 Worlds and the 2011 Tour above all. Yeah, yeah. I started my career in mountain bike. I was uh, for the Mountain Bike World Cup. I was I was consistent throughout the season, but I couldn't come up for the big ones like the Olympics and Worlds as quite as much as well some of my competitors could. So anyway. And yeah, I was yeah the oldest post-war Tour de France winner to date, I think. Really? Or to that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. Since like nineteen, I was the yeah. Well, I'm kind of one thing if I can say I'm kind of proud of in my career. I'm still the youngest ever rider to win a mountain bike World Cup, but I'm the oldest post tour uh, post-war Tour de France winner. So <clears throat> I'd like nice. to think I had a a, a long and um, a long and uh, what do you call that? A long and thorough career. Talking about the three non-Europeans. <laughs> When I when I read that, I couldn't think of the yeah. third. There's obviously you. Do you know the other two? You must Benal. do. That's the guy I couldn't Ber- remember. Egan, my teammate. Mm. It seems yeah, <laughs> it one, seems so only obvious. Beat you in the second place. <laughs> yeah, the it guy seems, that beat it me. It seems yeah. so obvious, but it was actually quite recent. And <laughs> and of course, um, Greg, uh, Greg, who yeah, you I think 
I think it's only now, years later, we realise what someone like Greg LeMond did in his time because now, okay, obviously with American teams and everything, to come and do what he did would be, like, amazing. But he did it in a time when he you know, came over here, sort of on his own and joined a French amateur team or something and went on to be incredible. His results yeah, still stand in history today, stand alone in history. Yeah, fair play. Three times as well. He's long, a definite huh? guest for Series 3G, isn't he? He is, he's, and he's a oh, he's a good he's a nice guy. Just tell him, just tell him you're going to talk about uh, fly fishing, and and he'll be on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Goodell, we're going to talk about the tour, but before we talk about any specifics, you go to the tour, don't you? And you know it's the biggest bike race in the world. But if there was any doubt whatsoever in your head, as soon as you get to the first host towns, the Grand Depart, it always hits you, doesn't it? The number of people, the media interest, the pressure—it's just all there. Yeah, the tour, you go there where he's about to go, where GT's about to go, and you think, yeah, you try and prepare enough, you've done a couple of tours, you said, oh, yeah, I'm used to it now. And, but you get there, and when I first, my first years I rode the tour, I go, it's mad tour disease. People go to the tour, and they go nuts. But it's a little bit riders, but it's a lot, just the public that are there. I remember my first tour, and this lady, she's normally taught, this old lady, she would have been about, 50 years old she's like nearly brought me to the ground because she wanted to know if my i was teammates with axel merckx at the time she wanted to know if axel merckx was coming out of the bus and I'm like, I don't know where <laughs> <he is." laughs> if you let go of me i might be able to go in the bus and even see if he's there i just like i sat down in the bus and i just realized oh now i re- realize what people mean why the people just go at the tour as a rider you go there for the first that when you go to your first tour and you're like oh, this is nuts um it certainly captures uh people's excitement and um it yeah, it's uh, like, of course, the race and the, the level of the peloton, in the end, it's one of few races that you, no disrespect to the other races, but it's one of the few races you ever line up for where everyone on the start line is in the best form of their, year, of their, of their season, and they're all there dedicated to do something, whether it's for themselves or their teammates. Um, and it's really just all that cumulative together and all these excited fans and so much to up for, for the taking. It, it just all, all comes together to just be this crazy, crazy three weeks. Yeah, talking of grand departs, is there any that stick out that you remember? Because let's be honest, as a rider, team presentations are the biggest pain in the ass ever. And that I reckon they just need to be banned <laughs> yeah. other than grand tours. Because like Liège, right? Liège, it was at the start line. We go there, there's about 20 people there, team presentation. Go there the very next day for this race. Thousands of people there. Like, why do we need to go there the day before? Getting put out of your rhythm and what you're used to, it's really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) You go there, okay, I come here. And as you've done, Garrett, you've probably been thinking about this tour since I was of the thing. You finish one tour, you start planning for the next. And then as soon as the season's done, you start working for the next. So it's going to... 12 months of work and then finally you get there and you're like got two days to get this damn thing started <laughs> and you're wasting your time oh, so busy, isn't asking it? Yeah. the same questions yeah like when you're a favorite for the tour and i'm suspecting you'll have a few few journalists at your press conference that's a compliment um mm-hmm. pre-tour but they they all want an exclusive interview they all want to talk one-on-one they all want to ask the same questions <laughs> <laughs> just get the race started that's that's what i remember of the tour start and and every everything seems like a, a waste of time other than lying in your bed just chilling out making sure you haven't forgotten anything yeah because you become paranoid as well don't you it's like i've been on my feet for 10 minutes now i don't want to be stood here like I need to sit down, lie down, whatever it is. Like, 
you've got medical well you don't do the medicals anymore but you used to do medicals you used to have the like you say press conferences yeah. like there's always a bit of new kit or something like obviously a new tt bike we have now and it's main you got to do photos for that it's only 10 minutes but it's just like ah oh, could i have not just done this last week or you just get yeah all you want to do is lie on your bed isn't it? and that's it but the one that does stand out to me is in Utrecht back in, I don't know when it was now, 15, 16 maybe. And we were 2015? 15, yeah. We were on the boats down a canal and we got to sit down and stuff, you know, that <laughs> was nice. Right. That was different. We we moan when they're boring as 20. well. And it's like, like, we just like to moan, don't we? Yeah, that's true. From the outside, I can say, uh, yes. <laughs> the, um, the 2011 tour presentation, I think was an interesting one. We were um, in the, um, uh, it was like a, an amusement park, but a medieval amusement park. Yeah. Like there's this photo of Tor with a Viking helmet on holding a big sword. <laughs> it was it was um, kind of appropriate because he was spent a fair few days in yellow in that tour. It was uh, where, where you were on the stage on the cobbles. Jumping straight into this, did you enjoy racing cobbles? Did you do them much? Obviously with a mountain bike background. I only did that stage. I only did that stage. It was the only yeah. time I ever rode cobbles. And I have to say, if there's, you know, you go look back on your career and I was always motivated to do everything I could to not have any regrets in my career. And I've got a couple of, like, there's a couple of races I would have done done better on, but one of probably my biggest regrets, I think I was, maybe Ryder Heshad, I was out in front in that stage, but Tor was trying to break away, and I was just following him, and I was following him easy, and I was sort of really regretting that I didn't, I just had the legs just to bridge across to Ryder. But it was just one of those ones where I was just, no, I'm just going to wait here. I've got through all these crashes and all this rubbish. I'm just going to stay here and wait for the finish, which was with you and Tor. I came third. Um, <clears throat> but um, I remember that as, as one of my regrets. But um, that I, um, yeah, I had George lead me into position. I think it was George crashed, in, he punctured, crashed in front of me and brought down the entire field. I went around him, <laughs> not many other people did. And I think we were 12 to the finish from there. So, Cadell, in those first few days, are you constantly thinking, as a rider, particularly as a contender for yellow, are you constantly asking yourself the same question, which is, how are my legs? How are my legs? I suppose my concentration is, when I was a young rider, a good bit of advice I got worried about other things and external factors. Just think about your legs. So I'm a little bit, okay, yeah, how are my legs? How are they rested? Okay, what can I do to rest them more? Of course they're tired. Your legs are always tired. They're a bike rider. They, 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 they start to not get tired about a year after you retire from racing. <laughs> um, um, but um, I, I, the first week for me was also just... just don't lose time, don't lose time. Like in the race, it's save energy, avoid crashes, save energy, avoid crashes. And that was that was my, my, my main thing. And the first few years I rode the tour, I didn't have a, a big team around me. It wasn't until my last years with uh, BMC that I had guys, guys like George Hinker being Mickey Shah and Marcus Bulgart really looking out for me and, and shepherding me through to the finish line. And that actually was relatively easy compared to how fighting my own, finding my own way <laughs> through the crashes and things in, in the years preceding that. Yeah, that makes such a difference, Tom. You know, when you have someone, as Cadell said, with like Mickey Shah or um, Berger, like obviously in our team, we got Luke Rowe and Quiato in the past and, you know, Stannard and loads of guys like that. It makes such a difference on that first week because you can just follow them and you can kind of not switch off completely, but just take a bit of the stress off and be like, right, they know what they're doing. I've got every confidence in them. They'll get me in the right place, the right time. And yeah, like I say, you still got to be concentrated, but you're not 100% like, oh shit, what have I got to be? What have I got to do? And that saves so much when it comes to those second two weeks because that first week is just, oh. Did you enjoy it at all? 
like it's not really enjoyable is it you can't say mm. oh when i was with george and those guys i did because we were always where we had to be mm. and and um i had such an awesome team around me especially in the first years especially when i was on my own and we had a good sprinter on the team and so what the team could do they did for him because he was if they got if he got to the finish he was going to win that stage and i'm like oh, i'm trying to do gc here i don't want to like lose five minutes for some stupid crash or crosswind um <clears throat> i'm trying to prove early years and trying to prove myself as a GC rider but yeah with George and those guys I actually enjoyed it because we had such an, a solid team in the in the in the flat in the like a like a classic style of team that I was actually at advantage to to my competitors so um so I funnily enough I turned it around to enjoy it and I also had um a great um, staff behind the scenes just making things easier and taking stress off like for the things outside of the race as well and that being a, a great media officer for, which for me was just changed everything does it help getting into a routine in that first week Adele because you're obviously moving around you're generally in a different hotel every night you might have a couple in the same hotel at the start but does it help falling back on a familiar routine when you get to a hotel when you're doing your your stuff in the evening when you're getting ready in the morning um, I think the, the the first thing is when you get to the start, like Garrett GT, he mentioned uh, like the team presentation. This the first thing you just want to get. You just want to get the race started because you work for sort of pretty much you've been either very focused mentally and very focused physically for sort of the be best part of the last twelve months to get there and as healthy and as in the best form you can. So <laughs> you just want to get the the show on the road, so to speak, get started. And then, um, then after that, what I, what I always found, there was a couple of phases looking at it and you have the first days where people are really nervous the first week. And then you have their first like TT where you'll have a prologue and a, and the hilltop finish, uh, plunge their bare feet. What is it? Sabbath, Saturday. And, um, and so then you'll start to get a bit of an idea who's in it for, for real in terms of GC. And then you get to about day 10, 11, 12, and people start getting this mental fatigue. <clears throat> and then the crashes aren't for nervousness, but the crashes are for just not paying attention. It's like that guy just rode into a pole because he just like wanted to close his eyes for a micro sleep while he was on his bike <laughs> or something. You know, this really happens. I, I remember it from my first grand tour being lost in the hotel or something. Like, what day are we up to? Ah mental note to self stay attention mentally on the bike tomorrow um and then and then of course everyone gets so tired they can't get nervous anymore and you just race your bike and try and stay out of trouble especially like even after the first rest day of a normal you know after nine days or whatever it just feels you're just in it then aren't you and you, you do get into that routine and rhythm of it and it's just yeah you're all lost in this little world of the tour and you feel like yeah, well, you're in this yeah real bubble. What like speaking of the little yeah the world of the two, I remember like calling up home and oh what's going on and, that, and all the people are doing one that you know, I call my mum or something. Oh, we saw the tour and this and so on and so. On. Yeah, but <laughs> I want to talk to you about anything but the tour. <laughs> you know, calling back to Australia, what's you know happening in the news or something? How the how are the animals or something or her, her animals. She has a lot of pets. And then uh, another thing, once so just you touched on the routine thing. What surprised me is you get in such a routine. Like I would wake up first day at home after the tour. And, Shit, what stage is it today? Oh, oh hang on, put my dog asleep on my feet. Oh, oh the tour's over, Drax, it's done. But yeah. you just, after three weeks, you're in such a routine every day, wake up, what's on today? What's it like as a rider who is aiming for yellow and has probably spent a lot of their childhood watching the tour on TV, whether it's back in Australia or back in South Wales, what's it like when you pull on the maillot jaune for the first time? Oh, for me, the, for me, the uh, Credit Lyonnais Lion was the thing. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I had a, like, because I, I remember watching the podium once of someone, um, maybe the first time I saw, um, I started watching the tour in 1991, was the first time I watched the tour, so I don't start to finish. But I remember as like, a, I think I was 14, oh, shit, I'd, like, I'd really like to have one of those teddy bears one day. I'd like to have one of those teddy bears because you only get it when you get the yellow jersey. I've got like eight or nine of them downstairs. But that, that was the thing, to see that teddy bear was like the real significance of it. I've got the teddy bears on display, but I don't have the yellow jerseys on display, unfortunately. It was, I remember when I got, because you get a lion actually for the ASO races or for like Paranese and Dauphiné you also get yeah, one, I don't think- you? Yeah, and Criterium International, I have them. That's why, that's yeah. why yeah, I didn't get nine from the tour. <laughs> and I remember um, Swifty messaging me like, oh, you got some now. You're like, you, got, you, you need to go and get one at uh, the tour now. And I just remember being like, oh, yeah, that would be sweet. <laughs> and then, yeah, when you just stood there having... Because how many days have you spent in yellow in the tour then? Was it just when you took the jersey and N- then won? Not a great deal. Not a great deal. I first wore the jersey in 2010, I think. And then 2011, and I think that's about it, actually. I, yeah, I haven't spent much time in yellow, actually. And I always had to, like, I always had to, um, well, the first years, because I didn't have a team, I couldn't afford to get into yellow. And then later, just by chance, 2011, I came in right at the last minute, but I was so used to just hanging back, holding back, holding back, and and going later. Because BMC, certainly on the flats, I could have could have controlled the race, but um, we didn't have a, we didn't have a real big mountains team actually so it's sort of better not to have it well you had it in paris that's the main thing isn't it that's yeah yeah that was always my saying in the bus um we 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 go to the front when the when the money's good correct me if i'm wrong but you took the yellow jersey in the tt on stage 20 yeah in 2011 wow. like so the yeah the second last day i but i'd been in there twice before in that in that position because i've been there uh, once was against contador and once was against uh 2008 and 2009 against uh, sastre actually because he did their breakaway on alp d'huez and um it was sort of two times everyone was expect both times everyone was expecting me to win and i came up just short on uh, contador by like 23 seconds which i think was like it's about the fourth third or fourth um smallest in my case, losing margin of the Tour de France in the history of the tour. And then I came, fell a fair bit short. 2008 was my hardest tour ever. I hit the deck early in the first week. And um, and that was, um, I wasn't, I was injured, but like I had just bruising and stuff, but it was all under my jersey. So I didn't even look like I was injured, which kind of made it worse because no one had any sympathy for me. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then, yeah, I fell, I think I was about 53 seconds short, if I remember correctly, which was probably also amongst the like, top five or 10 <laughs> smallest uh, losing margins in my case of the tour. So, and there, there everyone really expected me to, to, to win that time. And that's um, after not, not coming through that time, my team lost complete faith in me and, yeah, the things stayed. Things things changed a bit after that. What about the looking at the other way round? What's it like to lose it? So you've you've worn yellow in, in a tour and then you've lost it. So it happened to you, Cadell, in two thousand eight, didn't it? And Geraint, you'd gone into yellow early in twenty seventeen after the prologue and then lost it on stage three or four. Was it? Five. Is it is it far? I don't know. Is it worse to lose it having worn it or worse than never having worn it at all? I I always was for the um, yeah I was always I just wanted to wear it in Paris, but this is me who had to like find my the first few years find my own way then find a team that believed in me and and so on. So I had to be real economical with my energy with my team and everything. 
but to, to be in it in 2008 and not be able to defend, I would have rather not to, not to be in it. And this was when uh, I think in 2011, I was like second at one or two seconds for like a week. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not for the being it. And that was, like I said, the, to the team, to the guys in the team, it's like, we only go to the front when the money's good. And well, there's a bit more to the phrase there. I don't know if it's appropriate for the, for, for the audience, but, um, <laughs> But it was, you know, I just had that mentality, just have the yellow in Paris because that's in the end, uh, I was quite rational about it. Yeah, I was, I guess I was slightly different because um, in 17, I'd crashed out the Giro. The Giro was my main thing. I was there to sort of help through me really in 17. So to take it was almost a bonus. Um, and yeah, just to have worn it for that time, I think it still, it helped me in that the next year when I took it again, I knew what to expect. Um, obviously, I'd won other races and, you know, Paris, Dauphiné, and you have the same procedure. But, you know, as we all know, as we've said, the tour is like tenfold with everything. So it was kind of, it was good to experience that side of things as well, I think. I think if you ask anyone in the world, like, what the, I don't know, the yellow jersey is, what's the Premier the League? Ultimate or what's dream the ultimate Yeah, well, more like what it represents, I think. A lot of people would know the yellow jersey as the tour, probably out of anything, any other sort of trophy in other sports. Maybe I don't know. I'm just totally guessing at that, but it's iconic, isn't it? And 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 to wear it for the day is pretty is special. Did you find Geraint wearing yellow? Did you find it not change you as a rider, but did it give you maybe more confidence or more swagger? Because I sometimes imagine it must be like a superhero putting on a cape because it's so distinctive. You're there in the race and you are unmissable. Yeah, 100%, you get like a boost from it. You feel like, wow, you're proud. Um, you know, you get to roll to, just roll into the front of the peloton for the start of the stage. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, yeah, boys, yeah. I'm rolling past you all now. I'm going to start <laughs> at the front. It's got this jersey on. It's just, this, it's a really nice feeling. And um, yeah, 100%, it gives you a boost. And, and also the team, like the team get a big thing from it as well. How is it for you, Cadell? Oh, I'd agree. I'd agree certainly on the team side of things where, yeah, if you take yellow, it sort of, yeah, it just sets everyone at ease, reinforces everyone, what they're doing is the right thing. And as, as a rider, I, um, yeah, I was always, always on the, just the, the in Paris thing and whatever had to be done to get there. And, and, and so, so I was sort of not, um, yeah, it wasn't something that like excited me to try and get in yellow or anything like that. I was very, very rational about that side of it. But like, like I said, especially when I didn't have a team who could ride in the mountains or riding there in a break of 2008, I think I had the, so yeah, 2008, I had the first day, I think I had the yellow jersey and like 30 guys got up the road. My team couldn't close the gap. I had to jump in the group myself. Uh, um, I would have rather not have yellow, to be honest, than, than, than expose, uh, like have, the, have, have everyone have on my compared to see how strong my team was not. Right, we've had lots of questions from members of the GTCC, so let's go through a couple of those for a moment or two. The first one comes from Alejandro, who would like to know if you are in the same shape at this point as when you won the Tour in 2018. I think yeah, I'm obviously going well, just won Tour de Suisse, um, but I'm not one for massive on numbers. Um, you know, because I saw something the other day about our oh, watts per kilo, I did this here, this then. And part of me was like, how would you even know how heavy I was then? Like, how have you worked that out? And secondly, one thing that does irritate me, <laughs> without going like off on a tangent now, is it's a race. Like, you don't, if they were all time trials, bottom to top, 
it, yeah, okay, you can kind of look at that. But like Alpe for instance, when I won, we rode a really good tempo at the bottom when Egan was riding. Then it was a couple of attacks, still a high pace, but then Nibbly crashed. Uh, and the four of us were riding across the road looking at each other for about 30 seconds, you know, like, oh, what's, what's going on here? And, you know, it's a bit stop-start and I just don't know how... It's just Twitter in it and just what people get hung up on, I think, because it is interesting, but at the same time, I don't think you can just compare, especially riders, like, oh, this guy is going really well because he did this many watts per kilo, but he only did this much in a different race and conditions and, you know, if it's on a velodrome and, you know, the pressure's pretty similar, then it's the same, isn't it? But going up a mountain, headwind, tailwind, what you've done, the start of that stage, you know, is it just up that climb or have you done four climbs before? Um, but anyway, sorry, going back to your question, Tom. I don't know, but I think I'm going all right. I just got one question for Cadell. Um, talking about mountains, as we know, like the atmosphere, as we said, is completely bonkers at, you know, the start to the finish. The mountain's incredible. Have you got a favourite climb that you've done in the tour? <laughs> I was so um, rational about the climbs. If I was good, I liked the climb. If I was bad, I didn't like the climb. <laughs> yeah. The problem <laughs> is, is when you do it a few one times. One year good yeah. year, one year terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, which is your favorite climb? You know what? The one, anyone that I won on or won the tour on is my favorite climb. So I, like in that, I suppose I'd have to say Galibier, but only from this side because I've lost it from the other side. So from yeah. the, what's it? Besançon at the bottom there, side, uh, Lothar oh, that side. reminds me. Sorry, I was going to say, that climb up Galibier when you won, um, which side are you talking about? The one, not when you do Telegraph, the other side. Uh, we did Isoard, Besançon, Lotharé. Yes. And, yeah, the, other, the opposite side. Um, and then yeah. Lotharé right onto the Galibier. The, the following day stage was the other way up, the Telegraph. And yeah. Because um, I remember... Um, Galibier, Abduez. Was Schleck, was he up the road or something? And you were isolated a bit. Yeah, and... they Schleck went with... Um, yeah, they he went up up the road really early, and they had this sort of crazy plan, and they managed to pull it off. And then what happened was, um, I, I remember I was also just being a bit, oh, it's going to be headwind in the valley. It's always headwind in that valley. But you come in the tour, and you speak about the craziness. So you go in there, and I've done my course reconnaissance, and I'm looking at the wind and everything. But then you go there. There's so many. It's bumper to bumper campers on each side of the road and it's made this nice little like wind tunnel <laughs> it's blowing up here and he had a teammate and and basically behind uh, everyone was just exhausted i think i had two teammates they did like one turn each blew up <laughs> and um we, so that's why why he, like him being in that break managed to isolate all of us gc guys behind and why it was such an incredible move by him yeah, i remember at the bottom of that i I was in that group and I was like, oh, I'd really love to see Kadal win. And I almost, I rode up, I was close to you and I was thinking, should I just offer him? I just say I can ride for him if he wants, like ride, do a little pull. Just because I had no issues with Schleck. I didn't hate <laughs> Schleck or anything. But like, I don't know, with the Brits and Aussies, like obviously it's big rivalry when it's us against you. But it was, it felt like, oh, I'd love to just help him out. And I almost said, like, do you need me to... Obviously, you know, maybe give me a bit of cash or something as a little thank you. But I would have—I was up for riding for you that day. I didn't—I didn't do it in the end. But because um, I think we had a teammate that had just blown up. Well, Paul, I think Rigo might have lost the jersey that day or something. He had a white jersey, maybe. But yeah, I always remember that stage, like the bottom of that well, climb. Well, just thinking, oh, shall I ask him? Fortunately, one other rider did, 
one other, fortunately, one other rider did offer to ride and rode and did one or two turns, and that's what got the chase started. Fortunately, because I sort of didn't want to, I was a bit, I was a bit worried because it was still like eleven or twelve k's to go, and I, I didn't want to have to do the whole thing on my own. Yeah, yeah, it was big. So I, I think it was nine point eight I did on my own, but anyway, longest turn of my life, <clears throat> longest turn <laughs> probably the last twenty Tour de France, right? <laughs> anyway. We've had a question from a listener, Harry. I think this is a good one for you, Cadell. As someone who spent their, some of their formative years living in Northern Territories in Australia, um, the question from Harry, which I think is also relevant to the tour after what we said about the temperatures, how do you stop your body going into shutdown mode in extreme heat? Um, well, Harry, um, sorry, but I was born in the desert, so I'm just not allowed to like suffer in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> just uh, no. You as when I started racing on the, especially on the road, I had to really learn how to adapt to the cold conditions, because of, of or even being a mountain biker, a cold race, you're only out for like two, two and a half hours. So, so um, <clears throat> I had to actually adapt to the cold and and bad conditions. So I just probably, as Harry pointed out, I was born in the desert in Australia and um, never never had a problem in the heat. Yeah, it took me 12 years, 10 years to get used to it. Because obviously growing up in Wales, it's like you say, I was used to the bad conditions. So at the first tour I did, 2007, I remember we had a really hot day. Like it was only a flat day. It was supposed to be easy day, transition day as they like to call them. And oh my, my God, I was like, just didn't know what to do. I was just like, I need to get out of this heat, but I'm also got 30K to go with this race. I feel like my head's going to explode. Um, but it's like, you can do little things like we try and have slushies, but generally after 50k, any slushy we get given is just lukewarm, like energy drink by then anyway. Um, you know, we have a lot of ice. We're shoving ice down the back of our necks. and But yeah, it's just a tough one. Water. But yeah, it's, it's you basically you just got to live in it. You got to train in it. And you just have, as the years go by, you just get more and more used to it really. And that's, um, you try and do the other external things or, you know, try and drink really cold drinks, but superficial. Yeah, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just like, yeah, living in it, which is tough if you're from Cardiff. Okay, let's jump to the end of the race then, Cadell. What's that final morning like in Paris? On your way into Paris, where you know it's a done deal, but there's certain cliches to tick off. There's the champagne to drink as you go along. There's going to be all those laps of the cobbles in the centre of Paris from the Champs Elysees. Does it seem slightly surreal at the time? Um, yeah, a little surreal. If I think back to the, the one time that I wore yellow into, into Paris, I was, well, first thing, let's just get this jersey to the finish line, i.e. no crashes. So and I, I was very rational about the tour when I raced. I was like, okay, we've got to not crash, we've got to do this and that, and okay. And then that happened. Then we'll think about the party. Um, but, um, and then funny that you mentioned the um, Champs-Élysées, because, oh, no one's crashed on the last stage. Went, it wasn't recorded on TV, but... No, you've got to do the champagne. You've got to do the champagne. You've got to do the champagne. Everyone does every year. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, okay, you've got to do the champagne. I get the glass of champagne. What happens? The TV motorbike in front of me, I'm between the gutter, my team car, my director, the glass of champagne, the TV motorbike in front of me drops it, crashes in front of me, pulling up with one hand. I'm just like, that that was, I nearly, I nearly gone over the hangers just for this stupid photo. That was the only, that was the only, that was the only close call I had during the whole tour, I think, but uh, in 2011, but for that, I'm just sort of like that. Um, And then um, of course the start's very slow and you just want to get home because you want to like go out and have a beer or something um, because you haven't done it for maybe weeks or months. 
And um, especially wearing yellow, I just wanted to get it over the line. But of course, then when you got across it across the line, that was for me, it was a real more than surreal because my, my life from that moment onwards changed and yeah, changed probably maybe forever. Yeah, I agree. As the when I had it the night before Paris, um, normally we'd have a couple of beers and a burger the night before as a team. And um, yeah, I'd had, well, maybe three or four in the past. This time I was like, I'll have one with everyone. But other than that, I'm staying as fresh as possible because I still had, I think it was a minute and 51, 53 advantage. But I was like, this is still a race. Like you've got the sprinters. This is probably the biggest sprint that they can win like it means a lot to half the peloton the other half have shut down and just get into the finish but i need to be switched on here and i've all my wits about me i'm not risking this now for a couple more beers so yeah oh exactly the same you just treat it just try to treat it like any other race but it's hard because you're generally up a mountain somewhere you, you're on a bus with a couple of other teams they take you to an airport you fly you're on another bus with a few other teams they take you to the start you go on your team bus You've hardly eaten anything properly or that you're used to because the team chef has already left the mountain like the night before because you had to drive to Paris. So you've been eating like a few cheese and ham baguettes from the local car for the... the, the uh, always a chicken, chicken and rice on the tray on the TGV, always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that, yeah. And, um, you know, just, I don't know, it's a weird feeling. Like, and it's almost like you've won it, but you still haven't. You've still got to do this stage and it's still... A, it's still a race, so it's just, yeah, staying switched on as Cadell says for 24 more hours and then party hard. And uh, I have to say, yeah, like you said, GT, it's, um, you've won it, but you can still lose it. Um, and the um, people always say, I sort of found this, the journalists and things, say, oh, it's just a parade into, into Paris. Yeah, into Paris it's a parade, but on the Champs, you just drive up moving, moving three places in the last K into that finish line. Like it just gets <laughs> faster and faster and faster. But the, the finish is, am I wrong? Or I, I always gave too much in the time trial the day before. But I, I found that finish really hard, like the last 3K. Oh, you get your position, you stay the sprinter's yeah. way. And One other big talking point in the tour is the sprinters and versus GC men. As in, first week, a couple of sprints, a few GC guys, generally maybe the smaller variety um from exotic places the sprinters seem to hate them and always like oh gc guys get out the way it's a sprint it's our day then give it a week later you're going up a mountain or they're about to start a mountain as you said you had a lead out man leading you into them back in the day Cadal. suddenly it's vice versa then and all the climbers Lid get out the way like <laughs> like get out the way like what are you doing here you're gonna get yeah. dropped in a minute like there's a big uh the sprinter GC yeah. rivalry is pretty big in the tour, isn't it? Tensions run yeah, high. Yeah, it's a bit of a you sort of we sort of we've sort of got two sports going on together, <laughs> and there's the yellow jersey and the green jersey, of course. But it's sort of like, what are we? <laughs> so, so it's not quite soccer, soccer and um, and rugby and league or union, but but we are two kind of different athletes and usually very different mentalities. So there's a little bit, a little bit, um, yeah, of um, yeah, not not rivalry, but disagreement between them and I was always always tried to be clear with the sprinters look I just want to be here and then I'm out of your way or you know we're going to go here you know <laughs> my team's going to go here and then we're just going to get out of your way so just follow us there and uh, and to try and get you know they love that oh yeah well, oh, we do 10 meters less on the front great um <laughs> you know they love that so to try and try and win them over in that regard all right sweet well I think that that'll do us I just want to say a big thanks for for coming on Cadell 
Um, always a rider I looked up to when we were racing. I didn't oh. do many races with you, but yeah, thanks for coming and uh, it's been good. Oh man, thanks very much for having me. I'm honoured that you. Well, I'm I'm happy that for the fans of cycling, you're doing a podcast in such a a period because I'm I'm thinking. Um, Shit, you've won in Switzerland and things are looking really good for the tour. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, two, two vivid memories of me were your first stage, tour stage on the cobbles, um, beating Tor on the line there into, um, it was just before that, um, the Arberg Forest, if I remember correctly, mm. the finish line was, Ar- Arenberg. Arberg, that's a town in Switzerland. Um, Arenberg, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. And I do remember once when you said uh, you're used to the bad weather, riding down this descent and uh, pace bask, oh, horrible hole. And I saw you just barrel past me and you were just like, duh, 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 freezing <laughs> cold in the rain. And I think you won that stage as well. It was uh, two, two vivid memories of us riding, racing together. So I'll just say thanks very much for having me on. Thanks for doing this for cycling and the fans of cycling. Good luck and please don't get COVID. <laughs> Easy said than done. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Right, Chairman Tom, let's finish the pod off in traditional style with any other business. What have you got for us today? Well, you know, on this podcast, we don't mention the C word ordinarily, G, crashing, do you? But because of recent circumstances, we have. The good news is our amazing sponsors aren't afraid of talking about it at all. It'd be hard for them not to really, wouldn't it? Yeah, because in fact, they don't just talk about crashing. They get you back to your best when things don't go your way. Whether you've hit the deck from the infamous C-word, had your bike nicked, or even if an airline has somehow lost all your gear. Very true, Tom. Lacquer Bicycle Insurance offers cover made especially for cyclists. It's bicycle insurance made for everyone, from the crit racers to the weekend warriors. Basically, everyone in the GTCC. Yeah. Claims are handled by their team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've also ditched annual contracts locking you in. If you want to leave, you can, anytime. And our amazing GTCC listeners, yep, that's you listening right now, you can get an exclusive Lacquer and Garen Thomas Cycling Club sweatshirt when you join Lacquer. Just head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code GTCC. What's next, Tom? got a nice little story for you, G. Um, GTCC regular Chris Gams was out cycling recently with his wife when another cyclist asked if she could ride with him. Now, being a friendly GTCC member, he said, of course you can. Then, when he turned around, she was wearing her GTCC bib shorts. So we've had a real-life informal GTCC road meet with Chris and Sarah Lindstrom. Just what we wanted when we started this podcast and this club back in January last year. Nice. That is exactly what we wanted. Do they do a um, little secret handshake or greeting or anything like that? Do you know? Do you know? I can't remember what our secret yeah. handshake was. What was yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know either. Was it the Optoel celebration or something, or just I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it was the like the the pistol fingers thing. That's a contador thing, isn't it? We don't want to do that. You're right. This feels like the um, the point when you're trying to access something on the internet and it says forgotten password, <laughs> and you have to put your email address in and go, yeah, I have forgotten my password. We've forgotten the handshake. I'm always forgetting my <laughs> passwords, mate. Yeah. Please let us know. We should know, but we don't. Let us know in all the usual social places. Right. Okay. A shout out now for Andrew Parks, who's organising the GTCC Nottinghamshire meetup on Saturday, 25th of June starting at Café Velo Verde. Yeah, nice work from our favourite cycling cafe. And a huge well done to Daniel Russell, who repped the GTCC earlier in June in Memphis. 
where I'm happy to report that the GTCC jersey held up extremely well when Daniel took a tumble on loose gravel. Don't worry, he says he's fine. And then there's Pierre Mundell, who wore his full GTCC kit at Ride London at the start of June. Well done, Pierre. Beautiful to see. And Keith Carter took his GTCC t-shirt on tour to Corolejo. Gee, any guesses where that is? Well, it sounds like some sort of Spanish, uh, like South American, uh, maybe. You are, I would say, only a couple of thousand miles away. Weirdly, I have actually been there, which is disappointing. I didn't recognise it. It is a town, G, on the northeast coast of Fuerteventura, which is, of course, one of the Canary Islands. Mm. Wow. I was on the right lines, just totally the wrong continent. (laughs) You probably fly over it on your way to Venezuela. Or Tenerife. If you're flying from Madrid. I'll give you that. Or Tenerife, indeed, yeah. Um, And a reminder, if you want to get in the saddle, we've got the GTCC group rides on Zwift, the indoor cycling app, every Wednesday at 6pm. It's a great place to have a chat, especially during the Tour de France. G realistically won't be there during the race itself, but I'll certainly pop along. And if you're a first-timer, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial and to get involved. Right, G, that is it for our Tour Preview all that is left to say is bon chance and we will see you officially on the other side maybe a couple of cheeky updates on socials as it goes along fingers crossed cheers mate yeah thanks a lot and uh, yeah we'll see what happens chat to you soon that was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club thanks to club secretary Louise Gwilliam head of music Emma Hickman head of social Fionn Clark and our honorary president Mike Carr most of all thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time.